0: the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms Podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another new episode of the Geek at Arms Podcast. I'm James, and with me, my good friends, Mike and Brian. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing?
1: Doing well. Doing great, Mike. You're not Mike, you're James. The other guy's Mike. (laughs) Wait, which one am I? I can't remember.
0: Some people call you Maurice. (laughs) and now neither one of you knows which to go first (laughs) (laughs) typical mike you go
2: um migo um i (laughs) one minute i'm mike one minute i'm maurice one minute i'm migo yeah i'm doing pretty good these days harrowed busy but uh running and still alive so not gonna complain
0: cool brian you Oh, uh,
1: fairly good. I'm getting evicted soon, so my entire apartment is full of boxes.
0: Nice. Uh, I see yeah. <laughs> in a semi sarcastic but that sucks type of way.
1: Well, you know, I thought it sucked at first, but uh they're paying me for the privilege of evicting me. Uh, there's a rent control ordinance that says they have to give me 10 grand to move out. Whoa. whoa. I am I'm not broken up about that.
0: <laughs> That's like 12 days worth of rent in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, you know, at, at first I was going to just
2: more in the fact that why, what what did, what did you do to get evicted? I mean, come on, you can keep the stereo down. You can not plug the bathtub and leave it running all day when you go to work. There's something that you can do to avoid this, but no, this I, sounds like... Um,
0: I would put even money down that whatever it was, it was Oculus Rift related.
1: <laughs> well, you know, if they were going to evict me, it probably would be because of that. I had to to tie my like light fixture higher to the ceiling so I kept smacking <laughs> it.
0: He downloaded this awesome virtual reality pinata program. <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> but no, they're just uh, they want to remodel the building, and so they gave us a choice: we can put you in a hotel for three months, or we can give you several thousand dollars to move out. And I said, well, I wanted to move out anyway because I can't stand having this little four-inch deep sink and a mini-fridge instead of a real kitchen.
0: So I guess I'll let you pay me to do it.
1: Yeah, that was pretty much it.
0: (laughs) Oh, cool. Excellent. I say let's head straight into Geek Out. Brian, besides Oculus rifting your furniture into oblivion, what have you been up to? (laughs) Um,
1: Well, I have been spending the last two or three weeks knee-deep in cybersecurity I apparently attracted a hacker who has been probing my online accounts, my Facebook, my Steam account. It actually broke my Steam account, but fortunately, I had a two-factor authentication, and I couldn't get all the way in. And so I kind of panicked a little bit and, you know, Shield's up, doing everything that I can to harden my online presence, secure my bank accounts, do everything that I can to make sure that I am just not vulnerable to a... A determined hacker.
0: Yeah. Joy showed me that you had sent us like the request so that both she and I were to like verify that you were you on Facebook in case something happened to which I replied, who is this Brian?
1: (laughs) Right. Facebook has an option where if you get locked out of your account, you have some trusted contacts that you can call them or email them or whatever, and then they can give you a code to unlock your account. But it's pretty easy for someone who's trying to crack your account to guess who your emergency contacts are. They look at people you interact with most frequently, and they get your family, and then masquerade as you and try and get that unlock code. So I made sure if it's me, you're going to hear my voice. Don't trust an email.
0: Yeah. I just feigned ignorance on who you are. I figured that's the safest way.
1: Right. Yeah. And the chances of me actually locking myself out of my Facebook account are pretty small. I'm, I'm kind of on the ball and keeping my credentials straight. But that doesn't mean that somebody else couldn't try and fool you.
0: You know, the whole world uh, of cybersecurity actually is a fascinating one, figuring out the ways that someone could attack you and, and trying to come up with solutions. What's not mm-hmm. cool is when you're having to do it out of necessity.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, the fortunate thing is anybody who's attacking you is – working at a disadvantage because they don't know what accounts you have, and so it's really easy to stay ahead of them because you already have all that information and they have to try and guess it. So once you realize, eh, there's something hinky going on, it's not really that big a deal to get out ahead of it as long as they didn't crack something high value first. Like if they'd gotten into my email account, I'd I'd be sunk there'd be nothing that I could do to recover from that.
0: We'd be on this podcast right now going, Brian, your voice sounds different. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but fortunately, the very first thing they managed to attack successfully was my Steam account, and I admit my Steam password was weak, so it was probably pretty easy to crack. But uh, I did have the two-factor authentication, so they weren't able to lock me out of that and buy a whole lot of games with my credit card or anything like that. Cool.
2: Yeah, I'm I really advised against using the 123456 password on Steam. But, That's the um... same
1: combination on my luggage. <laughs> Well, I was using the same password there as I'd used on several other websites and I think like Target or somebody, one of those ones that had, had a breach.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um, contained that password. Uh-huh. But it's it's so inconvenient because I use a a browser extension password manager, which I shouldn't admit that on, on the air, but it's out there. Anyway, and my password manager doesn't have any way to connect to Steam, so I can't just like hit a button and say fill in my incredibly difficult to remember password. So I used a weak one and one that I I use frequently there. But knowing that I had a weak password, I also turned on the two-factor authentication, which Steams is good. Not every website's two-factor is good. Just as a general hint for our listeners, if your two-factor authentication sends messages to the same place as your I forgot my password link, that's not good two-factor authentication Mm -hmm. because that means somebody who has your phone has everything.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I have absolutely nothing sent to my – almost absolutely nothing sent to my phone because even though I always keep this thing as close to me as possible – I also know how often I lose things.
0: (laughs) And this was another reason why for years I refused to get a smartphone because I knew that people who have them do business on it, whether it's personal business, whether it's actually work business, but your information, your passwords, accounts tied to your money are connected to your smartphone. Mm -hmm. And that just worried me to no end. And so I just didn't want one. The most technological phone I had was a Samsung that was a slider you know slid up to get to the uh, had a keypad there so I could at least text well and that was it and it wasn 't until after Michaela was born that we saw how handy they were here 's the thing that did it. it was the camera on a smartphone. Mm-hmm. how easily with one touch boom there 's the camera and take a whole bunch of really high quality digital photos as quickly as I could press my thumb. And because we had a cute little baby, and she does something cute, you want to take quick pictures, and by the time you get the camera, take the lens cap off, turn it on, and you fall asleep. Or spat up on herself, <laughs> or done both, all of the above.
2: Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things about these smart devices that tempts us into doing things that aren't smart, though, is that we have, Mm -hmm. say, an iPhone, and we're sitting in a coffee shop, and we want to check our bank statement. This is an exact recipe for disaster. And I was actually sitting next to somebody in a Starbucks when I used to be doing my college adjunct work, and somebody was asking about connecting to the the Wi-Fi, and they asked me what it meant that this wasn't a secured connection. And I said, well, you're on an Apple device, you're getting onto an unsecured network, I just wouldn't log into my bank on this. And she said, oh, but that's exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) At this point, you're telling a person on an unsecured network, I could, if I was so inclined and had the motivation, monitor the next person who logged in to grab your password for your bank.
0: You know, but you'd think that a person on an Apple device at Starbucks would be safe because that makes up the vast majority of their clientele. And if a person with an Apple device can't trust the Wi-Fi at Starbucks, then honestly, who can you trust?
2: Definitely not the person at the Starbucks next to you.
0: That's a good point.
2: And you've also got to be worried
0: about
1: the people at the Starbucks across the street. Right.
0: You're right. Well,
1: my advice after doing all of this research is set up a separate email account that's just for banking. It doesn't touch anything else. No other website gets that
0: email address and it's not on your phone. Hmm. That's smart. Tech tips from Geek at Arms. That's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I've been immersing myself in, that and Skyrim. Yes. Well, it sounds like you've
2: also been dealing with a lot of personal protection for your geek out. Funny enough, I have too. Oh, have you? Well, yeah, but kind of in a 15th century kind of way. <laughs> you bought some more armor? <laughs> I actually didn't buy any armor. I, You know, it's funny. I made a post about this on the Geek at Arms Facebook page that there was a new translation of Fiore coming out, and I just could not help myself. I didn't have a print copy of Fiore. And I was reading through Vadi, who was another European martial
0: artist, another swordsman. Sidebar, Mike. Uh, For those who are not medieval swordmaster savvy, would you give a brief explanation of who Fiore is?
2: Fiore was a man-at-arms from Italy during the early 15th century, and he has the earliest known Italian book on how to fight. This is one of the things that we kind of take for granted sometimes with our exposure to to contemporary media that knights were slow and lumbering and it was really clumsy pounding around on each other with these weapons that would quickly dull each other on their armor. And it really isn't the case. They were some very sophisticated abilities to maneuver, to wrestle, to counteract somebody's defenses in some pretty elegant systems they're just no longer a living martial art, so to speak. And it's either fallen into rediscovery, reenactment, or the Jurassic Park of recreation through some various different organizations.
0: Or for many people, it's purely an academic matter.
2: For me, it has largely become academic. Ever since I got hurt three years ago, I have not been doing so much in terms of historical swordsmanship. And before anybody gets the idea that historical swordsmanship is so dangerous that I'm out there getting hurt, what I got hurt in was never my activities of repelling or caving or fighting with longswords. It was playing tag with my children.
0: That'll do it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Ripped up a hamstring. Um, Ouch.
0: Yeah, right. So
2: I have been doing a lot of couch fencing in the last several years, and I've been reading these treatises because the more you get into the history and the development and the pedagogy of everything, the more fascinating I found it. And since the translator that I was working with in Vadi, who was another man-at-arms in Italy, said, oh, I'm going to be referring to my translation of Fiore. And I kind of got frustrated with that because he kept referencing something I hadn't read. And so when I saw that we had this brand new production that is full-color A brand new copy of the plates, and they had replaced the text with English text, which is fantastic. Uh, It was highly stylized. So this new book, uh, The Flower of Battle, is just amazing in terms of its artistic representation. And I could go on for ages about why this is important to not only the history of swordsmanship, but also in terms of how it participates in a grand tradition of medieval art history, I won't. There are other books that are out there on that subject. It's just beautiful to look at. And the only flaw that I have, that I've found with this book, is that the script is just dang tiny. The good thing is that I also purchased, at the same time, another translation of the same text. Anybody who's been working with translations knows that sometimes translations differ, and they differ for reasons. And so if you are not reading the original, have at least two translations on hand. Many of you understand this when you're looking at your New Testaments. You probably have two, three, maybe, if you're like me, five or six translations (laughs) sitting around the house. Of course, I also have Greek copies of the Septuagint, the New Testament, and Hebrew copies of the Old Testament laying around as well. So maybe I'm not the best <laughs> judge. <laughs> but I have thoroughly enjoyed spending my evenings reading through these two translations and examining the plates, and have thoroughly enjoyed reading through the Flower of Battle. Anybody who's interested in the history of fencing or the history of the European martial arts, definitely get this new translation. And I've also accompanied the reading of that with a translation by Tom Leone. And Tom Leone has done some fantastic practical translations in the I've, past.
0: I've got a book or two of his, or three of his, sitting on my shelf.
2: Oh, gosh. I, I think I have at least at least three, maybe four of his books on my shelf. And he presents such a, a wonderful, readable version of, Of these Renaissance Italian texts, which is really not an easy feat. One language is not a secret code for another. There isn't a one-to-one translation and one-to-one meaning. Translation, especially across this much time and across these different languages, is a tricky feat. And I think that the fact that both of these translations come to be very similar in many respects, uh, is a testament to both of these translators. So I thoroughly recommend taking a look at the plates in The Flower of Battle, and also if you want just a plain readable text, there are no plates, there are no pictures, but Tom Leone's translation of Fiore is also fantastic. Both, for those of you who are really into the specifics, they're both translations of the Getty version of Fiore's Flower
0: of Battle. Cool. Now, I've got the Flower of Battle on my Amazon, my wish list. So hopefully sometime in the next few months to year, I can pick that up.
2: Oh, you want it more than you know you want it, James.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So note to any family or friends who are listening right now, you ever think, man, I really want to buy James something. There you go.
2: Hold on. texting James's wife. No. All right. There you go. Good man.
0: (laughs) Well, speaking of longsword related, I've been geeking out to a number of things. I have been continuing to do my longsword exercises at night. Um, I shared with you guys months ago that I had joined this thing called the 100 Day Pell Challenge, which for 100 days you do 100 uh, martial exercises. Most people doing it are doing SCA heavy chivalric combat, so they're hitting an actual pell with a rattan sword. But you've got people who are doing other things as well, people who are attacking with a spear, a couple of people who have been doing archery with it, shooting 100 arrows a day. Mm-hmm. And there's others who are doing it with rapier, 100 rapier attacks or drills. Most of mine have been longsword. Reading about Fiore drills, and uh, I've watched a lot of Guy Windsor videos. Oh, yes. And that has given me copious amounts of drills to exercise with, so each night's different. And I am proud to say that as of last night, last night was day 114.
2: Oh, wow. And what's it doing to your game?
0: Well, I can only assume it's helping my game. I have not actually had a chance to fight Longsword with an opponent yet. Because of my schedule, the number of fighter practices I've made it out to has been few and far between. Hoping, maybe starting next weekend, like every other Sunday, doing a Sunday fighter practice with local people. And we'll see if that goes well. And it can only help me, though. A hundred plus days of exercising and doing sword work is not going to hurt my game. I take that back. It would hurt it if I was doing the exercises wrong.
2: The only other caveat to add to that is be careful of repetitive stress injuries.
0: That's why I mix it up every night. Nice. Smart. Smart man. And it's not 100. Usually, I'm not doing 100 straight of something. I'll do 25 of one style, 25 of another drill, 50 of one type. And sometimes I'll do them very slow. Sometimes I'll do them at speed. Excellent. And that's all just, like you said, I don't want repetitive stress injury. I don't want to by doing something so many times i also get sloppy at it and i learn how to do it the wrong way Sounds i practice like yeah i practice doing it the wrong way that would not be smart of me so one cool thing about the group is that now that i have gotten 100 is that people who do that are given the online title of reaper and you get this <laughs> the people who started it up then send you a patch and it's got like a helm with like a skull inside of it and with the word reaper on the side wow and i'm very proud to have it and a lot of people who go to large SCA events will even take that patch and put it on like a favor or something else to display that I've done the 100-day challenge and gone beyond. Nice. And what else have I been doing? That is no longer—it's become not just something that I've strived for. It's become an everyday practice. It's now become a habit every single day that at a certain time in the afternoon or evening, usually after the kiddies are in bed, I grab my longsword and I head out to the backyard— and I do my exercises.
2: You know, it's hard to incorporate children into your fight practice. I did at one point when I was drilling over and over and over again, when I was very early on in this, in my historical fencing, and I was practicing with a foil, I would bring my eldest daughter and involve her very specifically in, in terms of my drills. Cool. I poked her in the belly. <laughs>
0: I'll bet you she got real tired of that real quick. No,
2: it's kind of funny because every time I would poke her in the belly with my foil, I would blow raspberries. So, you know, as it's touched, it's like, well, I got a uh, dagger one time for Christmas. And as soon as I unwrapped it, she was a toddler at that time. She grabbed the dagger, ran over to my friend, and drilled him in the belly and went,
0: <laughs> <laughs> see, I maintain that's just good parenting.
2: Train your children to stab your friends
0: young. And blow raspberries at them while they do it.
2: You know, I don't know why I don't do that in fighter practice when I land a good hit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's their way of letting them know to call it. Like, uh, excuse me, you didn't call that hit. Well, yeah, I went... So that means it's good.
2: Oh, there's something that I did one time that would... Definitely not fly in some kingdoms. But, you know, you knew the guy, and, you know, there's sometimes, like, you're pretending to kill each other, so sometimes it gets just a wee bit creepy. And so I, I slowly drew, like, I managed to get him in a place where he could not do anything. And I just sort of slowly drew the dagger across his neck and just said, shh. shh, shh. <laughs>
0: that is evil and creepy i love it
2: oh my gosh he did it right back to me the next fight practice i I thought it was golden
0: as is fitting so yeah the 108 pell challenge has been good so right now when i get done today it'll be round two day 15 as michaela calls it when i do my sorting for the night (laughs) like daddy are you gonna go do your sorting yes i am which i think is a perfect term for what we do so there's that uh what else As I posted on the Geek at Arms Facebook page, I got in Shakespeare Munchkin, which just looks like so much fun. Of course, I've got it in, and I haven't had a chance to play it yet, because I've been too busy.
2: (laughs) You've been too busy sorting.
0: I've been too busy sorting. But at least I have it now. It looks like a lot of fun, and I cannot wait to, to try it out. And once I do, I will give a full report here. The other thing that I have been geeking out to mostly just in the last week I've talked about at length about the time that I played the game Destiny for a Mm -hmm. year. I talked about it as far as DLCs, about whether they're worth it or not, about my time with it while I enjoyed it for a while, but then it just, I grew tired of it and the repetitive nature of it and was just done. And I think it was at the beginning of September, Destiny 2 came out to great acclaim, people playing it religiously. I looked at it and thought, you know, I'm not going to give this a try yet. The memory of Destiny 1 is still fresh in my brain. I've got other things to do, other things I could play, other hobbies I could pursue. And I'll I'll probably give this game a try later. You know, I'll maybe find it on the used game store. Or when they do a sale on Xbox Live for it, maybe bundled with one of the expansions. And that got thrown out the window. (laughs) Because a good friend of mine here, we got to talking, we were hanging out last weekend. And he told me he was going to buy himself a new Xbox. And... He had played PlayStation 4 for years, but he got rid of the PlayStation 4 when he started his master's program. Reasonable. Very reasonable. And I thought very wise of him. But he's just about to head into like his final year. And so he thought, I've got a handle on things. I really want to play Destiny 2. So I'm going to go ahead and get an Xbox One. So I'm like, cool. And that Sunday he did. Picked up Destiny. And I should put in the caveat, last Sunday was my birthday.
2: Happy birthday! Thank
0: you. So I get a a message from him and his wife from after we get home from church saying, like, hey, we dropped off something for y'all in between, like, your screen door and your front door. I'm thinking that it's, like, his wife got something for mine, like some lotion, some essential oils, something, you know, effectively feminine. Open up the front door, and there, wrapped in a card that says happy birthday, is a copy of Destiny 2. There's nothing unfeminine about that. (laughs) You're absolutely right. (laughs) How misogynistic of me to say so. But it did not smell of essential oils, so I was disappointed uh, in that.
2: Yeah, that is true.
0: But they're very sweet people. They bought me a copy of Destiny 2. And I will admit, I, he was completely self-serving a bit in it as well, because now he said he'll have someone online to play with. Nice. So I have no excuse now not to play this. It would be it would be kind of rude for him to say, Hey, I haven't seen you online playing Destiny. What have you been doing with it? Using it as a coaster. <laughs> teething toy jonathan really likes it he oh. loves it <laughs> but uh so popped it in i was gonna play it the day i got it everyone went off to take a nap and sunday afternoons like they usually do i put it in and like most modern video games the first thing that the game had to do was install itself onto the xbox of course how long did that take about an hour all right so modern technology my foot i missed the days when it was blowing the cartridge Plug it in, turn the thing on, and you're off. Right. So once it was done installing, then it had to download the first update.
2: See, Mega Man never did that
1: to me.
0: Never. <laughs> Mario never did it. Metroid never did it. But, you know, we, we can play all we want. That's the state of things.
1: Well, you know what? Get yourself an Oculus Rift and download that Hangry Bunnies game I've been talking about that my friend made. It's- yeah. It installs in 10 minutes, and then you're going.
2: Nice. And it
1: launches in five seconds. Unlike every other game on the Oculus Rift, it takes up to a minute to launch. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I just thought I would interject that there, that little Oculus Rift shooter I was talking about has been released for Steam, and the Oculus Rift version of it is coming out in probably a couple weeks.
0: Oh, very cool. And the
1: final title was Hangry Bunnies from
0: Mars. (laughs) Nice. I'm sure my wife will really enjoy it if I'm late getting home. And she's like, where have you been buying an Oculus Rift? Why? Brian told me to.
2: (laughs) You know, I think that if my wife called me and said, why are you so late getting home? And I told her that uh, it was for buying an Oculus Rift, I would probably find the lock changed when I actually got here.
0: Good news. You don't have to go home now. (laughs) So Destiny has been enjoyable. Once I finally did get everything loaded, I should add that after the final update did finish loading and the game actually begun in earnest, that's the exact time that the boys woke up from their nap. And my daughter came out wanting to watch a show. And at that point, the me time had officially ended.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, if I could give you one bit of unsolicited parenting advice, um, as your children get older and they no longer need that nap time. You know, it's important to still call it rest time because when they say, "Dad, we don't really need to have a rest," you can point to the name of the time and say, "No, no, 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 no. This is not
0: your rest time." <laughs> oh, no. We time. we do that with for an hour. we do that with my oldest. She says, "I don't want to go to sleep." Fine, but you need to have a rest, and that may be either play quietly in your room. Or lay down on your bed. You don't have to sleep. You just have to lay down, and you just have to go.
2: Yeah. Um, Do you know what? We have audiobooks galore and uh, radio plays galore that are on CD. This is an hour's worth of entertainment. Here, listen to the NPR Star Wars radio (laughs) drama.
0: That's an hour. Enjoy that time. That's indoctrinating and educating and entertaining all together in one. Absolutely. It can't be beat. But once I finally did get to play Destiny, it was fun. The gameplay is slightly different, but similar enough, so it felt like I was just sliding right back into it. Very little learning time. And the thing which has impressed me the most has been the changes that they made in the area of plot and how it impacts your playing the game. The first one didn't have so much of a plot. It had more of a plot-shaped object (laughs) that you just kind of shot your way through. This time, it's a fully fledged out and realized storyline with an actual enemy, and the stakes actually feel real, and the characters that you interact with, okay, let me put it this way, you had other characters in the game, NPCs, that you interacted with, but it just kind of felt added on. They didn't feel real. You felt like that you were interacting more with the game, just using these things as avatars, Mm. not as actual fleshed out characters. This time, that's completely changed. And I thought it was a shame that they did it that way in the first one, because two of the characters that you interact with heavily were voiced by Gina Torres from Firefly and Nathan Fillion. No way. Yes. Now, between Destiny 1 and 2, the people at Bungie, who made the game, realized exactly what they had in their hands. In the matter of a character voiced by Nathan Fillion. It took them a while, but they finally did. One of the last expansions that they came out with for the first Destiny heavily relied on his voice acting. And it was the best expansion of them all. It was the one that actually made it feel like a legitimate game. And he is used heavily in the trailers and quite a bit of the story for Destiny 2. And that's exactly what they should have done when you've got someone like Nathan Fillion voicing a character. Awesome. And along with that, something that they added, which I think is integral to the plot, which wasn't around a lot in the first one, but that was having a sense of humor. <laughs> there have been numerous I wouldn't say hilarious, but humorous moments throughout the game. And a couple which literally made me laugh out loud. I had to remind myself that okay, it's nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. I have to keep my laughter down, otherwise I'm going to wake everybody.
2: <laughs> that will end your me-time real fast.
0: Yes, it, it might mean my life if I wake up my children at that time, and my wife has to help put them back to sleep.
2: I have a feeling that it will be your wife putting you to sleep in an ultimate sense.
0: Yes.
1: Well, then let me ask you a question. Does Destiny 2 have the same sense of, this isn't a finished game because we're expecting expansion packs as the first one did?
0: No. It is not. That's good. And I'm very thankful for that. No, at the moment, I'm really enjoying the storyline, I've enjoyed what they've done with the game mechanics, and I can't wait to play more. Once you hit a certain level, like the highest level that you can get your character to at the moment is level 20, but you can still increase the character's power through different types of armor or weapons or upgrades. Once you get to 20, like I'm still, I'm about, I think, halfway through the storyline, but even beyond the storyline, once you keep growing and you hit level 20, a lot of other gameplay options open up for you. Hmm. Similar to things like World of Warcraft or other MMOs is that there are also uh, weekly raids that you can go on, face big bad guys for bigger rewards, there are adventures, and each of these... Instead of places on Earth, there's a large area of Earth that you can go out and explore. But there's also Saturn's moon Titan is one of the worlds you visit. Io and other worlds that have been terraformed within our solar system and that you go and you do adventures and shoot up bad guys and aliens on. A lot of the areas that you go to are very open world. And according to the people at Bungie... There's a lot of hidden areas Hmm. that are open for exploration as well, and uh, I like that. Let me put it to you this way. After a week of playing this game, I am just as thoroughly entertained, if not more, than I was through the entire playthrough of Mass Effect Andromeda.
2: That's
1: high praise from you.
0: I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth.
1: I can't believe it took you this long to mention Mass Effect Andromeda again. (laughs)
0: i'm trying to forget you know know, i'm with distance comes healing (laughs) you know it said after i beat the storyline i haven't touched that game since oh wow (laughs) i haven't done any of the multiplayer just i haven't felt the ever since the announcement came out that there were going to be no dlcs for the storyline and anything extra that came out was going to be for multiplayer only just nope washing my hands I think I'm done.
2: You have a sense of closure then.
0: Yeah, whether it's a sense of closure that I like or just kind of a I'm left shaking my head and putting my hands in my pockets and walking down to the street while the end music to The Incredible Hulk plays in the background. That might be a
1: piece of newspaper floating by in the foreground.
0: Exactly. That might be too dated of a reference. (laughs) No, it's not. That's perfect. (laughs) So that's been my thing. Yeah, more video games, but it's cool when it's a video game that was given. So video games, sword fighting, and hopefully soon, Munchkin Shakespeare.
2: All Mm. right. Yeah, give us a report when that comes out. I will do so. Well, when you get to play it.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I had a topic that I wanted to share with you gentlemen and our listeners. It's a bit more serious than some of the lighter fare that we discuss on Geek at Arms. But it's one that is very relevant and can also be a source of geek research and enjoyment. We've all seen and we all know people who have been affected by the events down in Florida and in Texas, the hurricanes that have been happening. And it's touched a lot of people's lives. So one thing that I thought would be good to discuss, because this can be a very geeky subject, because you can geek out about anything these days. and We've proven that point here on the show. And that is the research in the building of a bug out bag.
2: Yeah, I've seen this come up in geek circles mm-hmm. uh, a number of times, and it's one of the things that I've always wondered. I mean, a lot of the subjects that do come up in the show, okay, there's this fascination with the medieval man-at-arms, there's this fascination with video games and very tacky things. The bug-out bag is something that comes up many times in geek circles, and I've always kind of wondered why. I mean, that intuitive connection isn't necessarily there. So well, what makes lo- this a geek subject?
0: A lot of the games that we play are very dystopic in nature, whether it's a zombie board game, a survival video game. I mean, that genre is prevalent in so many of the things that we play and watch. And
1: And how many times have you been watching a show in which some disaster happens, and the characters do something that you think, okay, that is just ridiculous. If you just take 10 seconds and stop and think, you would come up with a better solution to your problem. And so I think... Can't speak for you guys, but that's how I experience things a lot. I was like, no, just stop and put some underwear and socks in the bag before you take off and run away from the zombies. You're gonna want them later.
0: Exactly. Um, and that you don't have you a costuming me. department. You know, you're gonna to want to change your clothes. <laughs>
2: okay. okay, so what right, I'm hearing you say so so is that there's these are there's like the the post-apocalyptic imaginations that we put into with some of our niche interests wind up having crossover into reality where we fantasize about disaster happening. But then there's also the real thing that sometimes does happen. I mean, I've had family members Mm -hmm. that that were affected by these hurricanes and so forth. And so when the real thing happens, there is the crossover where we can say, well, if this thing was real – Or if there is something that is real with a little bit of imagination and preparation and a little bit of thinking ahead, we can put something together that might actually have some real application.
0: Which leads me to the reason why I started researching this subject to begin with. Okay, what is that? Well, back in 2012, we were still living in Colorado Springs. My wife was pregnant with our first child and we had a massive forest fire on the eastern slope of the Rocky Mountains in the Mountain Shadows area and beyond, which was heading toward the city. In fact, I have pictures from the place where I worked, and it looked like a large swath of the Rocky Mountains, which faced us, which we were very close to, was ablaze. I would see several story-high gouts of fire come up, the western, northern, and eastern sky filled with smoke and was unreal to look at in fact almost every time that my wife and I would go to the hospital for our birthing classes the parking lot was covered in soot man so
2: the unreal got very very real
0: it got very real mm-hmm. my wife was very concerned as was i and she said is this is something that we need to worry about and i said thankfully Because of where we're at, no. We lived on the far eastern side of Colorado Springs. And I told her for this fire to reach us, it would have to actually get to the city proper, burn its way through the western part of the city, then it would have to cross over the six to sometimes eight lanes of I-25. That's a pretty good fire break. Mm -hmm. And plus I told her once it got to the city, then the firefighters would be able to fight it with city water, Mm -hmm. which is also a big matter. We had ample time but we knew people who we knew through work members of our own church who did have to evacuate their homes whose businesses were hurt and i remember one sunday morning i didn't know he was a firefighter until then but a guy came in who had the yellow firefighter pants on a t-shirt his face looked like he had basically just slapped as much water on as he could he had just come from fighting the fire, one of hundreds of local and visiting volunteering firefighters who had fought this thing, slapped some water on his face, cleaned up as best as he could, and came into church for a while to be with his family and friends to be prayed for. As soon as church was over, he was going to hop back in his truck and head back up to the fire.
2: Okay. So it sounds like you were situated right in this instance, but this was a thing that can happen.
0: Exactly, um, and,
2: and I guess it doesn't matter because there's forest fires. Many of my friends are touched by those hurricanes it doesn't really matter because there's uh, something
0: is everywhere there's the potential for something bad happening everywhere hurricanes earthquakes forest fires flooding or uh, we've all lived in kansas tornadoes oh geez <laughs> tell me about it yeah so and also didn't help that the next summer we got through that summer fine next summer there was another forest fire but this time it was in the black forest region which was just north of the springs and that one was scary because that felt a lot closer to home to where we were. That one had me had me a little more concerned, but still I felt that we had plenty of time that if we had to, I could load the family in the car, and honestly, we would just head out of state for a couple of days.
2: Okay. So if you on, I literally had a friend who was in a position where everything was fine, but everything could change in two minutes. Yeah. Like within two minutes, there could be an evacuation. And you are going to have to go.
0: From both of those I heard stories of people who were told you're not on the evacuation list yet but you are on the voluntary evacuation list and in case something gets bad you want to like keep listening to the news or the emergency channels. Well I would heard stories of people who went from voluntary evacuation to mandatory evacuation to get in your car get out now in a matter of minutes.
2: Okay, so you've got those minutes. If you've got the bug out bag ready, you tell me you've done the planning, what's in it?
0: Well, like I said, it's meant for you to be able to grab, throw in the car, and for about the general assumed number is three days, 72 hours, you're good. We've got supplies to get through it for a number of things. So I did a lot of research, and the first thing that you want to do is research backpacks. If you don't have a good bag to put all this stuff in, the point is moot. So I've looked at several brands, and some that I like are 5.11 Tactical. That's one that you can order off of Amazon. You can get at most hunting and outdoor sports stores. We're actually currently using a 5.11 two-day deployment bag for our diaper bag for the twins. Mm, Makes sense. (laughs) Because no diaper bag we found was looking good enough, and with all the stuff we'd have to put in there for two boys, this thing was (laughs) going to get heavy. So I'm like, what if we just got a tactical bag? With covered in molly gear, and molly is a type of webbing that is over most military style backpacks, that more pouches and other compartments can be added onto it. Nice. And we special ordered a couple of we, from NASA, the NASA store. We got a Gemini patch, and uh, Makes the, sense. The, the Gemini mission patch. And uh, then I had like, some custom camouflage <laughs> name tape with our last name put on there as well on some nice. of the Velcro. And so that's worked out great. Five Eleven's a great brand, uh, one that was recommended to me by several friends in the military is the brand SOC, Sam Piper of California. My good friend Chris, who has been a career firefighter in the Air Force, most of the bags that he uses when he is on deployment are SOC brand, and he's told me dozens and dozens of other men and women in the Air Force and Army and beyond use SOC for their different styles of bags that they have, for the versatility of them, and general hardiness. And they're not that expensive either. You can find them for a decent price on Amazon. So once you've got the bag, you need to look at the stuff that you need. And some of it's pretty no-brainer. Some of it is things that, well, um, you may not use it, but it's good to have it. And the great thing is that, thankfully, dozens of people have researched this as well and put together their own lists and made them available online. Now, some of these range from... It's a small disaster. You're going to go stay with friends for a few days and then head back to your home when it all blows over to the video games and movies were true. It's the end of days. Be prepared to live in the forest or a burnt out warehouse.
2: Okay, that sounds like infrastructure collapse is probably not what most of us are looking at. So, I mean, if for when the rubber hits the road, you got to leave town and either wind up in a shelter 150, 500 miles away. Who knows?
0: So I plan mine around me and the family are either going to be at a relative's house or a Red Cross shelter or something like that. Okay. As thousands of people found themselves both in Houston and Florida. So let's start off with just, and I'll go through this quickly for the sake of time. I'm also going to prepare a list, or I'm going to find one of the lists I found online, and I'm going to post it on the Geek at Arms Facebook page, And we'll even try to get it up on the website so that people can just use that as their starting point. Nice. So clothes, you're going to want, we talked about this earlier, you're going to want some underwear. A couple of pair of underwear, some socks, and it's recommended three pairs of both cotton socks and wool socks.
2: Wool is such a wonderful fabric. It will will do wonders for you, wicking moisture and keeping you warm even while wet.
0: Exactly. So some pants, a couple of shirts, a hat. A hat is a fantastic thing to have. Some gloves, not like the cheap, you know, cotton or wool kind that you would get from the clothing store. Maybe get yourself the, the brand Mechanics gloves. They will help keep your hand warm, but they've also got a lot of rubber on the, on the hands and the fingertips for, like, ability to grab onto things easier.
2: I've used those for repelling. So, yeah, I know the stuff, a little bit of padding, but a lot of grip, but they're still really, really comfy.
0: Personal hygiene. Bathing wipes. Cleanliness is next to godliness and your family, your friends, and the people on the cot next to you will all appreciate if you can keep smelling good. Plus, keeping clean helps keep infection and diseases away. So a pack of bathing wipes that you just use them, give yourself a quick wash down, throw it away. That's great. We found this stuff called Wilderness Wash at Gander Mountain. It's a little bottle, but it's very lightweight, but it's concentrated wash, a little bit along with some water. You can give yourself a good scrub. No rinse shampoo is another one. Toothpaste and toothbrush, you can find travel size ones that are will last you for three days to a week and don't weigh anything.
2: Here's another thing that goes along with toothpaste, anything that's liquid is going to weigh more. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go onto the Lush website, I know this is going to sound really crazy. That we're talking about all sorts of wonderful scenty bathy sort of things, but uh, <laughs> Lush has something called toothy tabs. Uh. Uh, we use them for camping and backpacking. They are lightweight, they're just uh, basically a little pill, and you can, I use only like half of one, bite it in half, chew it up, brush with that. And Hmm. it keeps your mouth nice and clean, and it is a fraction of the weight.
0: I'm going to look that up. I like that.
2: Uh, They even have one that's made out of active charcoal. Yummy. You know, there's something that (laughs) is—it's gross, but something satisfying about just frothing gray after (laughs) brushing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And looking to your loved one going, are my teeth clean? You should try this thing out. It's just too much I'm looking for this. So finally— Something that you won't think about it at all, but when you realize you've got it, you'll be so thankful, and that is toilet paper.
1: Mm, yes. Oh
0: I'm not talking about taking a couple of rolls of Charmin and shoving them in the backpack. No, you can actually find, like, small, compact, little prepackaged rolls that you can buy, lightweight, don't take up enough room, and will last you for several days. You'll be so thankful that you have it.
2: Backpacking enthusiasts have thought this through in terms of lightweight necessities.
0: Exactly. So let's move on from there to uh, from personal hygiene on to outdoor, indoor, or just survival in general.
2: Now, outdoor survival is something that I've had to think a lot about. Uh, my wife and I did a lot of outdoor activities, especially in our early marriage. Uh, we did a lot of wild cave exploration. We had joined some grottos. We did a lot of stuff, of hiking, plenty of that. And my attitude towards the outdoors changed very rapidly one time when all it was was a two-hour day hike. We had some trail mix, we had water, we had a map, and everything was grand until suddenly it wasn't. Because it turns out that the map was crap. Uh Things had changed. Weather patterns and a big flood had come through a couple of years ago changed the course of the river or the streams that were coming through that area. The trails that were marked were not Accurate anymore, and it wasn't advertised when we picked up the maps. And so, about six hours into a two hour hike, and the sun is starting to sink, and that tick infested cave that we had passed was starting to look really good as a place to spend the night. Mm. And fortunately, things ended well. I mean, we were sore. The dog was sore, but we walked out a, a six to eight hour day and we got in the car and we went home. But
0: you ah, finally found a path or you found the proper way to go.
2: We managed to run into what I could only assume was a Mennonite courting party because you never see the conservative Mennonites looking so. So gleeful, like they're getting away with something while they're holding hands with, a, <laughs> with another member of the opposite gender, also looking coy and smiling to their left or right.
0: So, yeah,
2: I really think it was a Mennonite singles group. And we managed
0: please to. Please do not tell the elders. We only held hands for upon three to eight seconds. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, yeah, they, oh, they they were just a treat uh, in every respect, and they were able to, to point us back to the nearest road, and we were able to take the road back to where our car was. But thinking about uh, how to spend the night, or two, or five in the outdoors, became something that was of interest to me. And uh, one of the things that I think was important, especially as I was a youth pastor at the time, is sharing the love of the outdoors and sharing some of these learning experiences. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I would suggest if you're ever thinking about, oh, yeah, I'm going to pack this survival pack. Well, great. Test it out. You're going camping. You've got your trash bags that you're going to turn into a tent. You've got your dental floss that you're going to use to string it up. You're going to use your duct tape for heaven knows what. Go (laughs) ahead and get it planned out how you're going to spend the weekend and test out your supplies when you know that the car is just around the corner.
0: Ooh, Mm -hmm. that's a good piece of advice. Very good idea.
2: And also, while you're doing whatever it's bug out bags or survival packs, medication is something that you don't think about until you don't have it.
0: Actually, Um, I have that on the list.
2: Awesome. Awesome. You know, it doesn't do you any harm once you refill your prescription to take three to five of whatever pills that you may be required to take. Some things are for comfort. Some things are for necessity. If any of you are on strong antidepressants, um, <laughs> make sure that you have those packed in your bag and that you um, that you switch them out mm-hmm. every month or every six months. Make sure you keep those current oh. because you don't want any aging antibiotics, any aging because
0: going on a trip can take on a whole new connotation.
1: Right. Uh,
2: Most of my medications that I take regularly will keep me comfortable, will keep me at a a quality of life. So, oh, my tummy won't hurt. Well, you know, I can live for a few days like that, and I'll not like it. But if there's something that you depend on, make sure that those are kept current and kept in your bag.
0: Yep. I, I put on the list outdoor survival, but this is also, if you can use it outdoors, you can use it in a number of places as well. These things can have numerous uses. And for that, I got started off with a pair of small, compact, but good binoculars. Something that would have come in handy for you at that time would be a compass for use with your crappy map. Or you might have had one. Did you have a compass?
2: I am trying to remember whether I had a compass or not. You know, if I had one, it's the sort of thing that I would have carried. But when you're orienteering uh, is one thing, it'll keep you pointed north. Or south or east, whichever way you're going. But if the trails don't conform to anything that you're seeing... That's true. ...then it's not a whole lot of good having a compass if you don't have something... You have to still
1: know which direction you
0: need to go. Exactly. And like you said, if it was a horrible map and the landmarks weren't what they once were, then all that's doing is leading you. Well, we know that way is north, but unfortunately, north's the wrong way to go.
2: Right. And if you're ever in doubt in that case, stop moving. Yeah. Sit down and
0: hunker down and get noticed. So beyond the compass, I also have a couple of Mylar blankets. They're lightweight, they're disposable, but they could also save your life. A basic first aid kit. Something that's beyond just some Neosporin and bandages. I've also got stormproof matches. A waterproof match container. The matches might be stormproof, but having one of those orange seal with an o-ring sealable containers to put them in or to put other things in having something that keeps something waterproof it's never a bad idea to have especially the prescription p- bottles work well for that They do as well but in case those give out a fire striker kit
2: and know how to use it
0: Yep something that's got the little magnesium strip on there shave a couple of bits off with that get the flint and steel kit and those can come as one cool little compact kit practice it strike it off you can have a fire real quick it's small it's very lightweight And just having it is not a bad idea. Something else, a Leatherman or some type of multi-tool. Multi-tools are great. It can be a necessity. And along with that, I put down, besides the Leatherman, also have a dedicated, decent knife, a folder, or a fixed blade knife. Fixed blade, yes.
2: I have a fixed blade knife. A friend of mine, I'm not going to tell any horror stories, especially not something that was so deeply tragic, But there are situations when if something does go wrong and you are wilderness or whatever, we're not talking about fighting, I'm not talking about stabbing somebody, I'm talking about you need to cut something and you need to cut it fast. When an emergency happens, your adrenaline takes over and your fine motor skills go out the window. Something that you can pull and cut can make all the difference as opposed to trying to fiddle around with a folding blade. That's a real thing that happens. So real fan of fixed blade in a place that you can just reach for it and don't use it if you don't have to. Mm -hmm. I have what I call my crap knife. I only pull it if you just say, well, crap, that just happened, and you need a sharp object, and you need it now.
0: In our bag, I've actually got a couple of knives. One is a fixed blade, and that is if I need to use this for something big. And then I've got a smaller foldable knife Still excellent quality, but this is for more delicate work. I don't want to try to cut something with the same blade that I'm chopping something with. Now, true, blades these days, one will do the job of both, but if I can have two and I can use them for two separate purposes, they're going to last longer.
1: Right. You don't want a six-inch blade to remove a splinter from your finger.
0: Exactly. Exactly. In that case, you're more likely just to remove the finger.
2: In that case, you'll be wanting to go back to your first aid kit. Um, While we're on the subject of first aid kits, something that I want to put in there, actually I do put into my wilderness first aid pack, uh, because I have not only the emergency pack, but there's also a separate first aid pack. Feminine hygiene products, not being silly, not being gross. There was a time when we found ourselves without any gauze in the house, And my wife and I have trained similarly in terms of our outdoors experience. One of my daughters was carrying some mugs, tripped, fell, and smashed the mugs in her hand.
0: Ouch.
2: And there was blood and a lot of it, and we don't have gauze. But the first thing that she did is she grabbed the feminine hygiene products, took a pad, cut it, wrapped it around the finger. And the thing is, since it sticks to itself, it stayed, and it absorbed the blood. And it kept the wound from sticking. There you go. When my wife, with some pride, took her into the doctor, they're like, okay, let's take a look at... That is amazing idea. How did you think of that? <laughs> so they thought she was MacGyver coming, into the, uh, coming into, the, into, into the room to get her stitched up.
0: Now, my wife does have such thing in her bug-out bags. I should mention that we have two bug-out bags. There's mine, and there's my wife's. Oh, his and hers bug-out bag. And we've also kind of split up the stuff that we think we would need for the children among the two. Nice. Mine's heavier, obviously, because I'm the guy.
2: Oh, you are a burly, burly man. You could I ca- am. You could carry an ox if you had to.
0: Only if I'd eaten half of it first. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, And if the horns were still on to me to grab a hold to. Uh, so such things are in hers. We put a lot of the backup children's clothes is in hers. And I've taken the extra food and water and bulkier stuff I've loaded into mine.
1: Mm. I'm going to add, you're going to probably want a flashlight. And a lot of the lists that you see say flashlight and batteries, but they actually make a crank-driven flashlight. It's a small, lightweight device that's got an FM radio built into it and also a USB charger. Mm -hmm. You can charge your phone with this hand-cranked little generator. I highly recommend one of those. I'll put a, a link on the blog when we get this up.
0: You bring that up at the perfect time. That was on my list. That was the exact same thing I had down.
2: See, I oh, yeah. have one of those. It is not in my emergency kit. It's something that I've enjoyed camping. I've never been satisfied with the light output. I've never really yeah. been satisfied with the charging aspect. But I still am a fan of flashlight and batteries do something LED. And when you have batteries, alkaline batteries will go bad fast. Mm-hmm. If you get lithium batteries they're less likely to go bad. They take a lot longer to go bad. So you can throw it in and forget
0: about it. Kind of along the same theme of the solar, but also crank radio slash light slash charger is a solar backup battery. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I've got a backup battery that's like 15,000 milliamps that I keep in my work bag for in case I'm somewhere, whether it be an airport or the side of the road, my car dies and I need to charge my phone. Keeping one of those around, not a bad idea. If you know that the whatever is going on is only going to last a couple of days, then having this thing handy to charge your phone is it can be vital. Having one that also can be charged up by some solar panels on it, that's even better. And on the solar backup battery, you could put in a USB-C cord, but it also has a spot for just a, a normal USB cord. And so that versatility is very handy to have. Also, bug repellent.
2: Absolutely. Remember the tick-infested cave? I mean, they were seriously crawling after us when we stopped to rest there. The DEET 100, or equivalent, was one of the first things that went into the wilderness pack.
0: So alongside with that, Brian, you mentioned solid flashlights. For us, I remember one of the sporting goods stores had some black aluminum flashlights. Just took a couple of double A's. Very bright, very, very sturdy. These things were solid. And we're going for like 10, 15 bucks each. And I bought a load of them. I put one in my bedside table. I've got one in my car, one in my wife's car. We've got a, one in the kitchen. We've got one in each of the bug out bags. And I keep one in my work bag as well, because I like to have a flashlight handy. And I like the idea about putting lithium batteries in them instead of the normal alkaline. I hadn't even thought of that.
1: But you get Alkaline that batteries are really inefficient for a flashlight anyway. Right. They're better for low-draw stuff. And flashlight's more of a heavy-duty application.
2: Sure. And here's also the thing for my caving days. As you use an alkaline battery, there is a steady drop in power output the longer mm-hmm. you are using it. I mean, there is, you're only getting maximum output for a short period of time. With a lithium battery, you are getting a steady voltage throughout the duration of the life of the battery. The downside of that is that it has a fast drop
0: when it dies Uh, moving on from the survival stuff and that is water one thing i found online and i found it on amazon and i ordered a load of them and that was water packs sealed water packs each one of them was four ounces and each one of them has a five-year shelf life that makes a lot of sense and i didn't want to just throw a bunch of bottles of water in the backpack that would be inefficient Mm -hmm. and would get obscenely heavy the water packs i could kind of distribute that more evenly And on top of it, which you'll find with a lot of the... The backpacks I use are three-day deployment bags. And most tactical backpack manufacturers will have one that is called a three-day, 72-hour deployment bag. And most of them will have a spot for a water bladder inside of it with a connected uh, squeezable straw. You know, another name for those is a camelback. Right. They'll have a space in the backpack for the camelback to go into and a spot for the straw to come out. That's fantastic to have. So, I've got the water packs along with that. Something else to have is a life straw, which mm-hmm. I think is just so cool. Such a cool piece of technology. Basically, it's a small straw. Well, not a small straw, but it's a straw like object which has a built in filter in it. You think your water source is questionable? That's okay. You don't have the time to boil the water properly. That's where the life straw comes into play.
2: All right, here's a question about the life straw. I'm, this is the first I've heard of one of these. So uh, suppose that I'm in a tainted water supply, who knows you know what's floating around in it? I mean, down in Texas, you had some issues where not only did you have rising water, so you had, of course the bacterial contamination that happens, but also industrial areas have their own issues. Who knows who's using kerosene, gasoline, whatever flooded out. How good is one of
0: these life straws? Okay, one of them is going to run you about 20 bucks online. It's going to filter up to 1,000 liters of contaminated water, and it removes, and this is their advertisement, 99.9999% of waterborne bacteria, mm-hmm. 99.9% of waterborne protozoan parasites, and filters to 0.2 microns.
2: All right. So if there's floral carbons in your water, don't trust this thing to save your life. We're talking about Right, it's bacteria. not
1: going
0: to protect you from anything that's dissolved yeah. in the water. If you decide to take a walk behind the industrial complex and take a sip from the brownish red glowing pool that is behind (laughs) the industrial complex, don't expect this to keep you from growing that third eye.
2: I ask this because I one time was, don't ask how I got here, it was in another country, I was with a young lady who was very in touch with the earth and loved it very much, and was a about ready to drink industrial waste and trusting her Brita filter to save her life. And I practically Mm. had to tie her to a tree to keep her from dying a terrible three-eyed death.
0: If you are, say, like you guys were, if you are on a hike out in the mountains or in the state park or somewhere like that, things turn south and you found a river and you need to take a drink from that river and you want to do it safely, this is what you go to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, along with that, the LifeStraw, once again, nice and lightweight, comes in a sealed package. Some water purification tablets. Absolutely. Small bottle, a couple of hundred tablets within it can be a lifesaver. So uh, there's your water. Now we head to food. Now, what I did for us, like I said, I've planned this around to where we're going to be hanging out at a someone's house, maybe a day or two in the car, because we've all read stories of people who were in their car driving as part of the evacuation for more than 12 hours.
2: That happened to my parents just recently when they were getting not nearly as far as they thought that they might uh, when they were doing their evacuation route.
0: So one of the first things I put in the backpacks are MREs, military style MREs. And I've had several friends who have been in the military. Are these the tastiest things in the world? No, No, they're not, but they are available to the public so we can suffer along with them.
1: Uh, they're, and they're not really as bad as people make them out No, to
0: be. <laughs> no, they're absolutely not. Um, the son of the firefighter in the Air Force, I would go out to airsoft events in Colorado with him and his two sons. And one of his sons would bring an MRE to eat for lunch. And he liked it just fine. I remember one of them, it was spaghetti and meatballs was in the MRE. They heat up in the package. And he also had crackers. He had like a peanut butter spread, had a bag of peanut M&Ms in it as well, and all sorts of stuff. And he said it tasted fine.
2: And if you don't like to go the military style, there's also people do this for backpacking all the time. They have meals that are just add water, and they're ready to eat. My wife, actually, when she goes backpacking with her friends... She likes to get pretty fancy with it. She'll make her own Just Add Water. She'll get curry powder, coconut powder, and make all sorts of rice noodle dishes, zip them up in Ziploc bags, and it's just toss it into boiling water. Perfect. There are a lot of different options for these sort of things, and many of them are purchasable
0: online. Yep. One of the ones that I went with for our home, besides just the bag that you can grab and head out the door, say power goes out in the house. We had this happen a couple of years ago when— We didn't get as much water as like, say, Houston did. But the Dallas-Fort Worth region, about two years ago, the month of May was a month of solid rain. It rained every single day for hours. And because of that rain, because of the flooding, a lot of neighborhoods went without power. So I bought a box of Mountain House dehydrated meals. You heat up some water. And for that part, I have a camping propane stove. And I always keep an extra can of propane at the house. Right. Here's some of the flavors they had. Well, not flavors, but meals. Mountain House beef stroganoff and noodles, chicken teriyaki and rice, granola with milk and blueberries, beef stew, lasagna, chicken noodle soup. That's perfect. We keep it for home, but I could easily put this in a bag and take this on the go. Something else to think of, and most people don't think of it, but this is a solid fork and spoon. Mm -hmm. And not the type that you just take from the silverware drawer or in a pinch those will do. Don't take plastic. And for heaven's sake, don't buy a spork.
2: Aww. <laughs> but they come in titanium. No.
1: No. No sporks. Okay. No. How about a
0: knork? I don't know what that is. I can't comment on oh, oh, that. It's a
1: combination yeah, of fork and knife. Yeah. Seen those.
0: I, okay. New one to me. Uh, Brian, you try it out and come back. But no. Spork, forget it. It's horrible <laughs> as a spoon. It's horrible as a fork. Just, you go on Amazon, you can find titanium or solid steel, but also stainless knife and fork or a spoon and fork. Just go that route. Just keep it simple. And besides the MREs, there's also a large supply of small canned food, dried fruit, trail mix, all that good stuff that you can throw in there that would be... Don't forget the can opener if you've got canned food. And once again, we come back to the large fixed blade knife.
2: Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to stop you right there. Have you ever tried to open a can with anything liquidy in it with a fixed blade knife?
0: Yes, and everyone should have that experience once in their life, <laughs> really? so that they can suffer with us.
2: Did you have a poncho along with it?
0: Uh, I was actually I had someone else do it for me, so they uh, were my poncho.
2: All right, yeah. This is the thing: is I was on a camping trip when the label on the can was crap. Now, granted, it was a foreign country, and it wasn't pronounced that way, but it was great. I'm not going to tell you what was actually in the can, because that would ruin it. But this was his meat dinner, and I said, so, did you bring a can opener? And he draws his fixed-blade knife, and he says, can opener, and then he plunges it into the can. And then he pulls it out, and with the second plunge, the shock of the knife going into the can forces the liquid with the meat all over him. And it was an area effect meat. <laughs> um, and so we took the can away from him and I pulled out my pocket knife, which had a can opener on it. And it was a lot of work, but uh, nobody got messy. And it just, the Victor and Ox Tinker did the job.
0: In all seriousness, a can opener is a solid thing to have. And something else lightweight that you can put in your bag? I don't have one in ours yet. I've been researching them but it's been on my mind but that's a portable stove and portable fuel you can find a small portable stove that usually is just like a little metal thing that folds out and you put a couple of little bricks of quick burning fuel in it and can also find small metal pots or metal cups can you cook a full meal with it no but will it heat up 5 or 6 ounces or more of water for you to rehydrate your dehydrated meal absolutely and they're pretty lightweight they're pretty cheap and you can find them online Something else that is recommended for bug out bags is a waterproof, sealable bag. Oh, of course. And not for like to put any of your survival equipment in, but think of it more like a waterproof envelope. And that's for copies of important documents that you might need sometime down the road.
2: So you're talking about if I really need to get out or suppose there's something that my home is in danger and I need to get my birth certificate and my marriage certificate and social security cards and things out.
0: Social security cards, copies of your homeowner's insurance, Mm -hmm. car insurance, things like that. Not the actual ones, photocopies. Makes sense. Front and back, seal them up in that waterproof bag. Something else to put in there? Some cash.
2: Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. Never know when you're going to need some cash. Not a whole lot. Uh, I'm not going to say how much we keep in ours, but it's enough to get through a couple of days. If right. we're if we're in places that, say, are open for business, but are without power and can't process a credit card, and, well, no one takes a check these days. Right. And also, something else you can put in those waterproof bags is medication. Some of the small plastic waterproof containers. Mike, you talked about how you need medication for a number of health reasons. I keep a bottle of sealed migraine medication Oh, of Excedrin migraine. Is it going to threaten my life? No. But if my migraine gets bad enough, it debilitates me.
2: You can't drive with a migraine.
0: I can't drive. I can't do anything if my migraine gets bad enough except lay there, try not to throw up, and pray for a quick death. And
2: wish that those black spots will get out of your vision. Yeah. People have headaches, and they've had really bad headaches. Migraine is something completely different.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And with the stress of, if you're in a situation like this, stress is going to be the highest thing that you're dealing with. And in stressful situations, it's very easy to get a migraine or other types of debilitating occurrence, you know, whether it's a panic attack, a migraine, an asthma attack. Mm, you know, keep your inhaler in there. Any number of those things that can happen. And your ability to deal with the situation is severely encumbered. Keep your meds. Keep not just the ones that you're on every single day for your general health. Keep the ones that are going to keep you going. All right. And the last thing in this, and this is going to be a touchy subject with some, but I think it's important, and that is a firearm and ammo.
2: You know what? I think that you should keep a firearm and ammo in your bag. I don't know how to use one. I'm I think c- if I pulled out a firearm, I would be a threat to everything no. except my target.
0: Let me amend that. I'm not saying whoever you are, go out and buy a firearm and (laughs) ammo and put them in your bag. Yes, no, I'm not advocating that at all. I, from the time I was a kid, like seven, eight years old, my dad took me out to gun ranges and taught me how to shoot. He taught me to respect firearms, what to fear from them. He also taught me that under the right circumstances and using them the correct way, firearms can be a lot of fun to fire. Go to the range, shoot at some targets for a while. It can be a great time. But that's always, always treating them with the respect they deserve. I've also taken firearm safety classes. I am a conceal and carry license holder. If you are that type of person, if you know what a firearm can do, you have the respect for it, then put one in your bag. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to go into why you might use it, why you might need it. That speaks for itself. But I would
1: like to add, if you are a family man like yourself and you've got a firearm in your bag, make sure that the bag is somewhere where the kids aren't getting to it.
0: That is true. That yeah, is very true. Yeah, if you're going to
2: spend some time at your friend's house and you just kind of plop the bag down on the bed and somebody's four-year-old wanders into the room where they usually sleep, accidents can happen, but well, if you're mm-hmm. a responsible individual who's going to keep track of things that have the capability that they do, then just Make sure you keep track of the things that have the capability of yeah. doing what yeah. they can do.
0: So treat it keep like your head in, on right. if it's in the bag, then treat it like if it were at home, be aware mm-hmm. of it, be safe with it, be aware of who's going near it. And like you said, be smart with it.
2: And don't loan it to Mike because he does and not know don't how to loan,
0: use one. Don't, right. even, <laughs> don't even tell Mike that you have it. Everyone will be happier that way.
2: <laughs> oh, my so, gosh. My wife is so anti-gun. If I brought one home, she'd shoot me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and she would, after, as you're lying on the ground, she'd go, see? See? I told you. <laughs> this is why they're dangerous. <laughs> Guns don't kill people. Kaja kills people. Yeah, she does. Now, one more subject I want to add to this list, and that is the geek list. Because I've read a lot of lists that were compiled by survivalists, by military personnel, and... One of the things that every single one of them adds is a means of distraction. Not distracting from the important things like, where am I going to sleep? What am I going to eat? How am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What's the situation going on around me?
2: Oh, no. If you're taking shelter somewhere, there is going to be a lot of time doing
0: nothing. Exactly. And they said, while you're sitting there doing nothing, you need to keep your mind occupied.
2: The thing that the guy who I worked with a lot in terms of developing a respect for nature and developing a survival bag and training with it, one of the first things that he puts into his survival kit is one of those pocket New Testaments. Perfect. Because he's going to have a lot of time to do nothing, and that's right there.
0: Mm-hmm. And if things are going bad, we can't all just rely on our Kindles to, <laughs> to get us through three days. Oh, no, this, something happened. I forgot to charge my Kindle. What will I do? Well, well, that was why I
1: mentioned that crank charging flashlight with the USB port on it.
0: If I charge this thing for the next two hours, that should be enough to get me to Chapter 2. <laughs> but You'd be surprised at how fast and how easily a Kindle charges. They don't take much juice. Thankfully, they don't. But beyond your Kindle, which I would probably grab anyway, because thankfully the batteries on those do last a while, some things that you could throw in your bag, especially as a geek that are lightweight, are simple, and will provide you with several hours of distraction, entertainment, and a much-needed respite from the stress of the situation. Number one, and this is something you should have in there anyway, is a decent pen or a couple of pens and a pad of paper. Oh, absolutely. You never know when you need to write something down, whether it's emergency information, where you're at, what you're doing, leaving a note for someone, or there's several games out there which can be done starting with a pad of paper and something else I put on the list, a set of dice. Whether it's a batch of D6s, whether it's a D20, some D10s, whatever, you've got another element that is lightweight and doesn't take up any room. And along with that, I had the idea, inserting inside of the pad of paper, why not print out some generic blank character sheets?
2: All hmm. right, so you know what you're doing when you're landing at your friend's house.
0: Exactly. When you know whether you're at your friend's house, power's out, or you're at a shelter and you've got some people around you, you know, you pull out the character sheets, you pull out your dice, your pad and paper says, All right, who wants to go on an adventure?
2: You get in that sort of situation and suddenly with that much of nothing to do, grandpa is suddenly interested in rolling up a character.
0: <laughs> so, tell me about this dwarven mage. It's like, well,
2: he's cranky, he's nasty, and he could probably fell a bear with his bare hands. It's like, well, that's kind of like you, Grandpa, so you'll like you, you'll Grandpa. fit right in with this.
0: <laughs> Something else along with that is, I don't think about it that often, but uh, there are a lot of games and a lot of hours can be spent using a deck of simple playing cards.
2: There are a lot of games that come out of exactly that.
0: From the lists I researched, one of the first things they recommended putting in there was a deck of playing cards.
2: Oh, gosh. I'll tell you, when I was stuck in Bucharest, Romania, I had enough currency on hand for a few days to eat, and I had some extra to spare. So a deck of cards is what got me and my, at the time, fiancé through a very, very long waiting period until the next round of rabies injections
0: fun. The card playing, yeah, not the rabies was, and injections. Oh, yeah, yeah. I probably. thought that story
1: was going to end with you being chased by the mob out of Bucharest. Ugh. Well, if the
0: mob is a pack <laughs> of wild dogs... Well, the mob did come after him, but he said, can I interest you guys in a card game? <laughs> I even thought, you know, Brian, for me and you, yeah, I'm not saying that we'll be in an emergency place together, but what if I throw a couple of decks of magic cards in there? <laughs> but I wouldn't be able to put many... Because you start getting into multiple decks, you're not so much weight, but space is being taken up. Absolutely. And I'm like, want to play Magic? Sure. Oh, which color do you want to use? The red or the red? <laughs> I,
1: I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, two or three decks of Magic cards gets really boring after a couple of days.
2: I and mean, It's not like you can exactly we... switch games with Magic the Gathering.
0: Yeah. So right. <laughs> that's why I decided. I think the standard cards are a better idea. That's why I decided not to do the magic cards. But there are the things I would include for distraction. You know, anything you guys could think of that could be thrown in there?
2: I mean, for my survival pack, I've actually got a small pocket survival guide that is as much a reminder of when things go to crap as at least I've got something to read to keep my mind off of things. So that's really my mental distraction is just a book on the same subject.
1: Along those same lines, my entire concession to Y2K was to purchase a copy of the U.S. Army Survival Manual. Mm. And that's got some really excellent color plates of edible plants in the back that I think is probably worth carrying the book all on its own. But we mentioned the Kindle a little earlier, and in addition to being you know a source of entertainment, put a 1,000 books on that thing and never run out of stuff to read, um, it's also a good idea to keep things like this Survival Manual. They've got a Kindle edition for it, although you wouldn't get the uh, full-color plates on a standard e-reader. There are a few public domain books, electricity for the farm, if you're needing to say hey, we need to figure out how to get this generator running again, simple electrical repair is a good idea. The Foxfire Americana library is it was actually originally a lot of magazines published by one of the Appalachian societies and it's got all kinds of useful this is how you do things when you're in the wilderness and you don't have electricity and you don't have running water. And those are also available as ebooks, or you can buy collections of the printed books are very useful. Medical reference, the Merck manual is the one that's recommended usually, that will help you diagnose and treat fevers, common maladies, not something that you would necessarily need a hospital for, but, hey, we don't have our regular resources. The Merck medical reference is excellent for that. And again, ebook. And the advantage to having the Kindle and the means to charge it is you can carry thousands and thousands of pages and not add any weight.
2: Mm.
1: In terms of purely geeky things, I think probably the playing cards and a set of dice covers it for most things. Although I probably omit the dice because the cards can be used for dice rolling as well.
2: Randomized yeah. number generators.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. You attack the orc. What do you roll? I got a jack. <laughs> I'm not- I, I don't know what's what does that mean. <laughs> <I kid. laughs>
1: and I'm I'm prone to looking at a little bit more high tech gizmos and gadgets. I mentioned that hand crank radio, flashlight, solar powered USB charger, which I have not purchased one of those yet. I want to kind of try it out before I say yes. This is the best thing since sliced bread. But it's a good idea at any rate. And a life straw, you can also get a little hand pumped water filter if you need to do something other than just sucking the water directly into your mouth. If you need to put it in a cup, you can get a pump. That's pretty much the same thing. It takes up a little bit more space. And And yeah, that's, oh, I did want to say one more thing about food. I'm in Southern California where everybody is vegan and health conscious and crazy. (laughs) Don't err on the side of getting something that's super nutritious for your emergency food. You actually kind of want junk food. You want something that's high in calories and lightweight. You're not trying to make sure that you maintain the nutrient balance in your body over these three days. You're wanting to make sure that if you need to run, you have the energy to do yeah,
0: so. You need all the calories you can get. Right. One thing I did forget to mention, and I think it's kind of geeky, is a good length of paracord.
2: Nope. Oh, yes. Nope. 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 Done with paracord. Tell me why. Dental floss does so much, okay, because here you have lightweight compact, and it's at least depending on what brand you buy ten pound strength wire or ten pound strength line. Hmm. all you have to do is double triple, quadruple, quintuple it up, and you've got as much tensile strength for whatever you could possibly use it for. No, so- Compact and cheap,
0: but I don't want my temporary shelter smelling of mint.
2: (laughs) See, this is why we've had this bone of contention because I want a temporary dwelling smelling like mint, and you don't, and that's why we have to maintain separate residences. This is why we didn't room together.
0: That we didn't know each other. Why we had to buy two tarps. This is why we had to buy two tarps. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that actually is one area that I forgot to mention, and that is sleeping in shelter. Contractor bags. Yeah, contractor bags are good what else a small tent or tarp sleeping bag blanket all those things are going to add weight but you can get some pretty small but simple sleeping bags that can be attached to the outside of your backpack fairly easy and if you are at a shelter or someone's house something goes bad having a simple sleeping bag can be a great comfort You can sleep in it, or you can open it up all the way, and that can be your ground mat. Any number of things can be done with it. And uh, you and I will have to contend on the whole paracord thing. I think the stuff's just incredibly useful. I have, like, a paracord bracelet around my arm right now that I really like, and the stuff's really handy to have around.
2: See, and this is also one of the reasons why you bring up the paracord is because it can be used for just so darn much.
0: If I wanted to, I could even make myself a hammock using this thing.
2: You know, I think that gets to the heart of whatever it is that you put into a bag, think dynamically about the materials that you have. It's not about having a thing for every occasion. It's about having things that are versatile, things that you can use Mm -hmm. for multiple Mm -hmm. things. And it's about imagining the properties of what you have on hand and how to apply them to your current problem. This was a different situation, but same principle. We were in the middle of Harvard Square in Cambridge, Massachusetts, our fair city, and something happened where one of the girls pulled away from me, rotated her arm in a weird way the same time that she did, she was very young. I felt give and a pop. And the child grabbed her arm and screamed.
0: Dislocated her shoulder?
2: We didn't know what it was at the time, which was kind of important to how we proceeded. If you are unable to assess and diagnose what the problem is, uh, your next problem is packaging the person and getting them to, to where they need to be, to a medical facility. Well, what I did is I went across the street to the out of town news, bought a cheap newspaper folded it, folded it, folded it into a U shape, and I had a spare dress in my backpack because they were young enough that kids would soil themselves with all manner of things from either the outside in or inside out.
0: (laughs) I'm very familiar with that concept.
2: And so with this spare dress that we threw over the child... And put their arm in the newspaper splint and tied it over the shoulder, the child was then able to be packaged and taken to a medical facility where she was no longer screaming. It was stabilized and more comfortable. It wasn't a matter of, oh my gosh, I need a splint and sling. Where do I get a splint and sling? It's what are the properties of the object I have on hand and how do I use them to my maximum benefit? Be prepared to think dynamically of what you put into your bag and allow yourself to use them to fit the situation.
0: Mm -hmm. If it can do one thing, that's great. If it can do two things, better. If it can do three things, that's the best. Exactly. So we could talk about bug out bags, the things that we would put in them and the situations that we would use them in for easily another hour. But Brian, you had something that you wanted to discuss that you told us about online, which I thought was really cool.
1: Yeah, lately we've been seeing a lot of revivals of franchises that we enjoyed as kids. The Thundercats, Voltron, Ninja Turtles. I was just wondering, which ones have you guys seen? Which ones are you excited about? Which ones just fail epically?
0: Oh, I could go on with this. We need like three shows for this one subject.
1: How about we just pick one each? Okay. Uh, And keep it kind of short and simple since we went so long on the bug out bag topic. You know, I could just touch on Voltron.
2: Real
0: quick. Oh, you're taking mine, but go ahead. Let's oh, go. I'm
2: sure that our experiences are going to be very different, though. So I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> okay. I stumbled across Voltron on Netflix, and I'm like, no way. I'm just like, okay, Kaja's gone to bed. The kids have gone to bed. I'm going to turn on Voltron. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is something new. Huh. That's interesting. And so my kids found that this is something I'd recently watched and like, Oh, hey Dad, they've got this show and I'm like, Oh, that is cool. Check this out though. One of my friends gave me a Chromecast for my birthday a while back. Nice. So why don't I find on YouTube, yeah, why don't you check out the real thing as it was in the (laughs) eighties? And I throw the first episode of Voltron up and I swear it wasn't the same show. I Even my daughter looked at me like, Dad, the pacing of this episode is really weird. I'm like, yeah, I heard that they cut this up and that it was different from the Japanese. Do you know what? Hold on, let me see. Oh, this guy has the Japanese on his YouTube channel. Let's, let's just see what that first episode was like. And I did that, and within the first three minutes, Voltron ripped something's head off. And there was a lot more cussing in it than there was in the American version. <laughs> and so uh, the retro revival was um, a little bit more awkward with my uh, youngest uh, in the room. So, uh, yeah, that was was eye-opening. I think I want to watch a few more episodes of the new Voltron and see how that goes.
0: To also touch on Voltron, I loved Voltron when I was a kid. Heck yeah. I got first exposed to it when I was like six years old, I think. It was your first
2: exposure to lead paint,
0: too. Yes, and (laughs) it was my first exposure to anime. I really hadn't seen any Japanese anime. Voltron was my first. And I don't remember the cussing and the ripping off of heads, but then again, Voltron wasn't being shown on any stations in Kansas, but I did get to see it when we would visit family in Texas because there was a channel that had it on in the afternoons. And, I mean, come on, five giant metallic lions that combine to form a giant robot warrior. Forget about it. That's every six-year-old's dream come true on the screen right there.
2: It intuitively
0: makes sense. Yeah. So, (laughs) and when I saw that Netflix was reviving the show... I was like, okay, this could be fantastic, or it could be a inglorious train wreck. Which was it? Fantastic. Awesome. I've enjoyed watching it. My wife has loved it. And well, if Joy
2: likes it. I'm all for it.
0: Yeah. They just finished and posted the third season on Netflix. It's wonderful. I can't say enough good things about it. I haven't watched any of the old 80s episodes in forever, so I tend to think of them as probably better than they are. You talk about pacing problems and everything. I don't think I'm going to go back and watch any of the old ones because I want that memory to stay rosy.
2: Yeah, keep those glasses. Those rosy because glasses look uh, good on you.
0: One reason I think that the new show is so excellent is that it's being done by the same studio that did Avatar, The Last Airbender. Oh, holy cow. Yeah, fantastic humor, beautiful animation, progressive plot lines, Wonderful character development. I can only recommend if you got Netflix and this day who doesn't, go check it out. So Brian, what about you?
1: Well, I guess that kicks it to me then. Uh, I have been enjoying, and I haven't watched any of the cartoon, but the new Ninja Turtles comic books. I was a gigantic Ninja Turtles fan when I was a kid. You hear about a revival, like, oh, this is just going to ruin my memories of my childhood. But the new comic books are actually very good. They're a lot more comprehensible I guess. The stories are more well-written than the original Eastman and Laird comics were. And don't get me wrong, I loved the Eastman and Laird stuff, and I was really sad when they stopped writing. Well, they were half-done as parody. Well, yeah, yeah. But the new comics are just really, really well done. The art is beautiful. They took the things that worked from the cartoon show and the Archie Comics version of the Turtles and threw away the stuff that didn't. I mean, the foot ninjas are not robots. Nice. Uh, that was just ridiculous.
0: <laughs> clang? Did you say clang? <laughs> right. Oh. But
1: like the colored face masks, which in the Eastman and Laird comics they all wore red, and of course it, the only way you could tell the difference between them was their personalities and which weapon they were
0: carrying.
2: Well, and, in the and first, they started uh, the, that way. And in the very first mm-hmm. printing, you couldn't tell the difference one way or the other.
1: They were <laughs> That's true all because it was and black, and black and white.
0: And white. Yeah. Now, question: In the Eastman and Laird. The big bad that everyone equates to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, their ultimate enemy is the Shredder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In that original comic run, wasn't he taken out in like the first issue? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, he died in issue one and then revived in issue 10. And then they fought him a couple times from 10 to 21, and then they killed him again in 21, except there were three of them.
0: It was very confusing. Then it got weird. (laughs) And then it got Uh, weird. It It wasn't weird till then, but it was after that it got weird. Right. And the funny thing is that you both are telling the absolute truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no sarcasm in that statement.
1: But in any case, I've, I've really enjoyed the comic book revival of Ninja Turtles. I need to watch the cartoon show because I've actually got a friend who was a texture artist for it. Oh. Mm-hmm. We interned together at one company, and she went on to do texturing for Ninja Turtles. Now she's at DreamWorks.
0: I think she's working on the dragons. Oh, my daughter loves that show. The mm-hmm. uh, the I almost wanted race to say to the edge. yeah, race to the edge. I almost wanted to say Dragon Riders of Pern, but no, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> that's different. If they made a cartoon anyway, of that. So. I don't know how I'd feel about that. But that would be interesting. Yes. I don't
1: think it would be work necessarily as like a children's cartoon, but oh no,
0: but, no. Uh, <laughs> but how to train your dragons? Race to the edge. while it's not exactly revival. It's if you're going to watch Voltron, watch dragons too.
1: Actually, if you're going to watch Voltron, and if you are even aware of the Power Rangers, you should watch Samurai Flamenco. That is a
0: hilarious show. I'm writing that down. I'm trying to remember if I've actually seen an episode of that or not.
1: Well, I recommend it. It's on Netflix. I think it's actually a a Netflix production.
0: Gotcha. Uh, Okay. And it's just so funny. And I think that's all I had to say. Cool. I like this. I think this should become a repeat spot or repeat bit. What do you think? All for it. Fantastic. I
1: think we'll probably have lots more to say about it in the future.
0: Well, you know, I was thinking the people who are our age, these are the people who are now working for the various studios, media Mm -hmm. companies, and the people who grew up with Voltron, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all of these other shows. And now the wave of nostalgia is riding high right now. And so people from our time, that's who's in charge of making shows like this and submitting them to be made. So I don't think that we're going to see retro revivals slowing down anytime soon.
1: No, they'll just move forward in time what they're reviving.
0: Exactly. And depending on how long this podcast lasts, there could be a day far down the road in the future that we're discussing the casting for the brand new Lord of the Rings movie. (laughs) Because they're reshooting it.
1: You know, Lord of the Rings was actually a pretty long time ago, if you stop to think about it.
0: (laughs) Let's see. First, it was a cartoon. And we'll have to keep an eye on how long it was between the cartoon to the Peter Jackson movies, from the Peter Jackson movies to what might come next. Fellowship of the
1: Ring released in 2001. (laughs) Stop making me feel
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: old. Oh my gosh, you're right. And on that note...
2: In two years, the children born during that production will be voting.
0: (laughs) Before we make ourselves any more depressed, I think that is going to wrap it up. But before we go, as usual, Mike, what's our zombie apocalypse plan of the week?
2: Oh, zombie apocalypse plan of the week, I think it's pretty foolproof this time around. Nunchucks.
0: There nunchucks
2: nunchucks absolutely all the way not for me i don't know how to use them, <laughs> them to the zombies because here's the thing if there is anything that says head trauma it's an amateur chucker and so as soon as these guys start swinging things around i mean they're going to bash their own brains out problem solved
0: and this ties in perfectly with the episode because brian brought up teenage mutant ninja turtles I brought up bug-out bags, and honestly, what's a bug-out bag without a pair of nunchucks?
2: Oh, there you Much have safer?
0: it, <laughs> And on that plan and that unhealthy recommendation, that's going to wrap it up for us. Thank you all for listening in. From all of us here at Geek and Arms, be safe, be blessed, be geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at Facebook.com forward slash Geek at Arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome.